Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's Johnning my Wayne? Okay. What's, wow. What's wow. destroy? Yeah, shattering mm-hmm. my pelvis, my thirteen-pound baby. Uh, Gengising, Gengising my car. Yeah. What's irradiating my uh-huh. racist <laughs> movie about Genghis Khan starring a white man as Genghis Khan? <laughs> That is the funniest thing in terms of like ways John Wayne could have died nuked while playing Genghis Khan in a movie is pretty funny. <laughs> that that's pretty good. Uh, how, yes. how are you doing, Fran, 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 Francesca? I'm Francesca here. Fiorentini, our guest, returning for part three of three. Boo. How, how, I have to find out how this ends. You know what well, I mean? I mean, it's. I feel like he becomes even more bastardly towards the end of his life, but uh, I'm excited. Yes. Actually, he becomes Chris Kattan. Um, <laughs> real real curveball for the story what there. What is love? <laughs> that makes as much sense mm-hmm. as anything else. Um, yeah. Chris Kattan, great career. Not over. Is it not? Are we still doing I mean, Chris Kattan? I don't have anything against know. Chris Kattan in particular, but are we? I mean, there could be a Night at the Roxbury reboot. Oh, some there point. could be. Or we could even do like a like a like an Avengers Endgame where Night at the Roxbury meets the Blues Brothers and uh, yes. what's another one of those Lorne Michaels movies? Uh, 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 the, Superstar, the, I don't know. Superstar, the sure. Superstar. Throw that in there. You know, throw in the David Cross one where he plays plays a hillbilly. Um, make it all happen. 
but everyone's jacked. It's it's everyone's basically everybody kumail nanjani's yeah. themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get everybody like on it, pumped with HGH, destroy their hearts. Get them just like David Cross has like sixteen inch biceps. Hell yeah! And then nuke them on set. And then we nuke them. And then we nuke them on set. That's right. <laughs> Finally, that's how we that's how we end Lorne Michaels' career with that film. Uh, Shouldn't have brought Bat Night at the Roxbury. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he's like the center of this idea of like white conservative masculinity, um, and and has has been for decades at this point. By the time we hit like the mid night to late nineteen sixties, uh, all of these people who are like eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Uh, and old enough to start going over to Vietnam have never known a world in which John Wayne wasn't like the biggest action star in there. Like he's like, you know, there's not really anyone to compare him to now. I guess your closest would be someone like The Rock. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, like we, we don't really have, the media is so much bigger now. So like you have like a million different kinds of action stars for everyone. In this period of time, John Wayne is like it. Uh, it. Yeah. Um, so though not publicly a man of particular religious vigor, he embodied what muscular Christianity enthusiasts respected while also speaking to the more secular arch capitalist right wingers who sought a more muscular U.S. willing to throw down for the free market. All of this swirled together to make him an irresistible front man for Republican politicians. Christine Cobbs Dumez writes. In 1968, he gave a rousing patriotic address at the Republican National Convention. When Nixon wanted to explain his own views on law and order, he pointed to Wayne's Chisholm, which is one of his movies, as a model, a bloody tale of frontier justice in which Wayne achieved order and revenge through violence. So in 68, like, at the RNC, Nixon is specifically pointing to John Wayne Ugh. movies as, like, this is this is how law and order is supposed to be. This, this yeah. cowboy movie by a draft dodger. <laughs> You know who could take care of these dirty hippies mm-hmm. who want to stop seeing their friends slaughtered? The Duke, John yeah. Wayne. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. These hippies. Why can't it be more like that? Remember when the good guys were good guys and the bad guys were the brown people? Mm-hmm. That's let's what, do that. Let's do that again. It is also very funny. He spends so much time shitting on anti-war protesters, a lot of whom are veterans who didn't dodge the draft like he did. But right. whatever. <laughs> So, Wayne himself was flabbergasted at the resistance among many Americans towards continuing to escalate the war in Vietnam. Iman's biography tells a particularly lurid story about Wayne seeing a one-armed veteran walking across a campus during a protest. And this group of protesters, like, approaches this veteran, and they're heckling this brave man who lost his arm in combat. And John Wayne has to, like, walk up and say, now, don't you, like, you can speak your piece, but you're not going to yell at this man, and you don't get to say this to a hero, and Yada yada yada. It and sounds then like he an email. Them forward. all together. Yeah, exactly. And then everyone clapped. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's no evidence this ever happened. Uh, it's there's a lot of fake stories about stuff like soldiers getting spit on from this period and John Wayne being a liar. Uh, I don't have any trouble believing made this up. Um, oh yeah. I don't know. He needed maybe. one for himself. The, yeah. The the spit. <laughs> The spit soldier story was getting way too much play. He was yeah. like, let me invent one. Uh, he needed a John Wayne version one. Now, I don't think that particular story is true, Francesca. But no. we do have audio of John Wayne addressing a group of students. I think they're like ROTC kids, uh, cadets at like a military academy or something. What matters most is that he's obviously fucking hammered. It's so <laughs> funny. He is he is housed. 
He is just completely fucking still it's drinking so funny. after all these years. It's so funny. Um, here's how he says hello to these kids. My name is William Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? Wait, 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 wait. First of all, it's Marion. It is Marion. Suddenly, your William Wayne. William Wayne. William Wayne. William. John is short for William. It's what so am funny. I saying? It's so funny. This is unimportant. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait. Oh my god. It does not get wildly more coherent from there, but the audience is very much on board. And honestly, if I had been a college student and a drunk movie star had come to give my comments, <laughs> like that would have been super funny. I would have been all uh, I think most kids would, right? Oh yeah. Um the audience, I mean this is also a more right-wing militant audience. So they're they're on board here. Um now I'm going to play another clip and for context here he's talking about how different things were when he's talking about like protests in college. And how different things were when he were in college. He was in college. Remember, this is a period where students are taking over faculty buildings and whatnot. They're trashing the offices of certain professors. Like, there's all these protests against the war by students. We talk about some of this in the Kissinger episodes. So John Wayne is talking about how different things were when he was in college. Let me explain something to you. When I went there, I went there when there was a fella <laughs> in Kentucky. Control of the college. I mean, I mean, he was uh, <laughs> the boss man. If anybody had walked into his uh, office, all good one, got the and office, torn down the picture, and did excrement in his uh, power uh, through, it, buddy. Uh, you got it. You stick the no, landing his, uh, waste paper basket <laughs> yeah that's what it is or had written lewd words on his uh, Ooh. the pictures of his family <laughs> we as members of the college would have kicked the goddamn hell out of this organization I can't it's very funny he's so drunk does he nod off because that's where it feels like we're headed you feel like he might have like he was sort of he was sort of graying out there for a little while I don't call it when you go to the what's the word for the having a little brown out drifting off into the land of vodka and fantasies Classroom, so right? The class—that's what a classroom. I never stepped foot in a classroom. <laughs> Just a drunk old man heckling teens. So from this point, he continues uh, to his main uh, argument, which is that he thinks these kids he's talking to should beat the hell out of left-wing protesters who dissent from the view that war is good and the U.S. can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of the speech is very funny. It's mostly very funny. The last bit does kind of get a little terrifying because in it, John Wayne calls for the establishment of the sort of violent right-wing street organizations that we are currently swimming in as a nation. For you guys, you better start thinking. It's it's getting to be re-goddamn-diculous. If you guys don't start thinking as men, we're going to have a lousy country. Jesus, I'm... I have had the chance to be with guys who are with things and against things. 
Awesome. That was brilliant. And and you know what? It very much is a speech that fits into the year 2022. It does. It like, does. That's that's a Giuliani speech right there. Mm-hmm. That's a right down to the drunkenness. Right down uh, to the yeah. barely being able to stand. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. He was so ahead um, of his time. <laughs> but it's so he's he's also it's funny because he is also while the hero of every single film, just kind of like interpersonally and incredibly like he's lazy and drunk half mm-hmm. the time. Like like and his only work ethic, like the hardest thing he did was I think well, I don't know. Did he learn to lasso or was the hardest thing just like bringing he a 17 year old from Mexico? You I know, mean, like he he's most people will note. And I think this alters a little bit at the end of his career. But he's like he's generally most people will agree pretty good on set. He's good at like what he does. He's got this kind of background in props. So he's he's he knows how things should look. He's a, an active member of like the of the crew beyond just sort of like standing and hitting his lines that's generally agreed right. upon but you do hear you hear really different stories so you hear all these stories about you know John Wayne seeing something a director's doing and realizing that won't look good on camera and like fixing the scene and being like very uh, much a team player and then you hear these stories about like well they couldn't shoot the film before noon because uh, that's when he woke up and they had to wait for him to take a giant shit first so they couldn't start until he did a sh- <laughs> like that I respect that I definitely yeah. respect so I, I don't know like you, you do hear like a lot of rumors on both sides it's probably fair to say he would not have gotten as far as he did if he was not really good at certain aspects of being a movie star so I'll give him credit for that um, but it's also like John Wayne, you were never willing to like go do anything for your country overseas. Why are you now saying that groups of teenagers should beat the shit out of people protesting a war that you can't even like you have no he's there's no elucidation there in that speech Mm -hmm. and the other ones he gives about like why they should be willing to do violence on behalf of this war. Right. Because that's not what's important. What's important is something vague about America. And that's the thing that seems most familiar where it's like. Well, you're not really elucidating anything that they should be fighting for other than the vague idea of America. And that's that's really enough to rile people up for violence. I mean, again, it's yeah. just super fitting. It's like America isn't a country that protests the bludgeoning and killing of civilians and the death of like young men uh, coming home in body bags to their parents. America yeah. is the country that does those it's, things. We do with those things. Not a sound. Without why would you why would you make a sound? That's just gonna yeah. be loud, you know? You're gonna wake up John Wayne and he's gonna be hung over. Absolutely. Before noon? Yeah. <laughs> no without way. the poo? Yeah. Mm-mm. So kids these days. It's very much just a kids these days speech. Yeah, it is. And then at the end it's fun because instead of him being like, and that's why I'm gonna start a blah 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 or whatever, or I'm gonna start a militia, which glad he didn't, but instead of that it's just like anyway, you figure it yeah, out. Yeah, you could figure it out. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Drunk ass John Wayne. Very funny. Except that's for great. you know, 
the fact that he holds this position in our cultural memory that makes the fact that he was a drunken warmonger much more influential. But let's continue. So <clears throat> we should talk again about these kind of rumors about the Duke that you'll hear. Because y- you get this, like, Iman very much presents this picture of him as this incredibly diligent um, with quotes from people who worked with him, including guys like Ford, that he was this, he had really, he was really sharp. He was always willing to put in the extra effort. He'd do multiple jobs, even though he was supposed to be the star, just to make sure the film got made. And then you'll hear these stories about like his scenes needed to be finished shooting before noon every day because he was going to be too drunk after that. Um, but he couldn't film in the morning until he'd taken his first hungover shit. And like, so he's got like half an hour. He's got like a good hour in there that's why I, I those can't be true comprehensively like they may have been true on certain films or in certain times right I'm sure there were times when people were like well you can't shoot you can't you got if you shoot too late in the day he's gotta be drunk because we know he got drunk at an impacted shooting at times but he made way too many movies for them to have been, for things to have been that ridiculous you can't shoot a movie with an hour a day from the star right no but Not who like, knows how the radiation yeah. impacted his gastrointestinal could can have been good I'm no. sh- I'm sure the older he got too, the more it was like a you know his lifestyle took a toll on him and that took altered the way he was on set. But um, like drinking, I mean, obviously that's like the sign of an alcoholic. But like yeah. being like a young kid, like on set and like mm-hmm. drinking and then waking up the next day and hell yeah, like obviously we all remember what it was like to be 19. Bless that yeah. moment. But oh, like great hangovers in your 50s. Come yeah. on. Hangovers in your 50s as a guy who has been just basically inhaling cigarettes and nothing else <laughs> since he was like 12. Like, um, that's, I mean, I do want to note, like, I'm sure aspects of this were true. And I'm also sure aspects of what Iman reports in terms of his like diligence on set were really true. Um, it's worth noting that two of his very best performances in his career uh, were filmed really late in it when he's an old guy, the shootest in True Grit. True Grit being maybe the most, the one that's most famous today, probably that mm-hmm. he was in, you know, Rooster Cockburn. Great film, really good performance. He was not a bad actor. Um, there were some moments, I forget which film it was, but like, because most of his early roles, he had not had to act. He's in a movie at, that John Ford sees and Ford is like, oh, hell, if I'd have known he could act, I would have clicked it done some stuff differently <laughs> um oh, but he is in some better performances the shootist which is his very last film is a, a really good movie in a lot of ways that's that's interesting too because it's we'll talk about the shootist a little at the end it's kind of it's kind of a strange one for him um but i, I don't think either well, of those movies honestly it's very like it's a little bit of his character like true grit yeah a drunken hard-nosed u.s marshal and yep. texas ranger Helps to a stubborn teenager track down her father's murderer. There you go. Like, drunk, hard nose. U.S. Marshal, drunken and hard nosed. Yeah, never served his country, so that's that one you gotta, yeah. you know, take it a little bit. <laughs> so uh, it's interesting um, because it, it's one of those things. I don't think he's as th- these anti John Wayne anecdotes about how drunk he was. I don't think he was as unfunctional as those anecdotes imply, but we might have been better off if he had been because another movie John Wayne cared a lot about making and put a lot of work into later in his career was The Green Berets. And this is a film that would go on to have pretty disastrous consequences for a number of members of a generation. 
So you're not necessarily a bastard as an action movie star if your films like reinforce attitudes about violence and masculinity that lead young men to make some like dumb decisions such as joining the army. Um, But John Wayne knew that his films could do that and actively sought to use them to convince people to go and fight in Vietnam, right? He understood that he had influenced a generation's idea of manhood, and he decided Mm -hmm. to use that influence to try to get more young men to volunteer to go fight in Southeast Asia. Um, Now, before we get into that a little more, I want to read a quote from this write-up I found in Salon.com that gives a good overview on the broad strokes of kind of what it meant in 1968 to be what some people called a John Wayne man. John John Wayne stands simply as the most persuasive and overwhelming embodiment of our ambivalence about American manhood. His persona gathers in one place the allure of violence, the call away from the frontier, the tortured ambivalence toward women and the home, the dark pleasure of soured romanticism, all those things that reside unspoken at the center of our sense of what it means to be a man in America. Dark ambivalence toward yeah. the home. Just, just say Towards domestic women. abuser. Yeah, just say okay. guy who hits women. <laughs> like, yeah, the man who strikes his wife. Well, it's this thing that you have because you know, early in his career, they're like, we want him to look like a guy who doesn't have a lot of experience with women because he spends all of his time in the frontier. So he kind right. of is uncomfortable around women, and that's kind of part of I think why that expands to even more of a thing in Hollywood is you have this mix of the male lead, number one, has to be very clearly not gay. So you've got to show a woman is being interested in him, right? Um, Which not necessarily a sign that they're not gay. For sure. Um, but, you know, we're talking 1960s Hollywood logic. You gotta, sure, sure, you gotta, sure. You got to show him with a woman, but also like sex and stuff that's that's going to get you in trouble. So you don't you don't ever want him to get too close to him necessarily. And so you you wind up with a lot of these heroes who are like magnetic to women but also kind of pushing them away. Um these these sort of like yeah, it's all and also just like these ideas about masculinity. You don't want to have a guy who's like vulnerable with a woman. It's the kind of James Bond thing, right? Where he's gonna, you know, he'll sleep with a woman, but he he doesn't have relationships or whatever. I think sure, that's he'll kind of show up in the of, shower unannounced, yeah. and they'll just start having sex, and yeah. you're like, I guess that was consent, and, and but jo- like. John Wayne won't even do that, right? Because because James <laughs> yeah. Bond is more advanced in his attitudes towards female liberation than John Wayne characters tend to be, you know? Um, she can carry a gun. That's yeah, all. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, no, that that is really... Um, it's It explains so much. And also to, to recruit... Use your film to recruit young American men into a war, which is already going to give them PTSD, and then come home and, like, the the manly thing to do, don't talk about it. Don't address it. Bottle it up. Stoicism. Like, I think there's a stoicism yeah. that John Wayne really instilled in of about American masculinity. Yes. Um, and, and it's like... It's also kind of, I think, an impotent stoicism. It's not the kind of, there's a good stoicism where you're not, you know, letting yourself getting beaten down by the world. You're not like showing, you know, your your weakness in situations where that's bad. But John Wayne's stoicism is like, don't show vulnerability in situations where that might make you stronger. Uh, but anyway, that's, we're getting into a little bit of a deeper topic. But so, you know, Vietnam 1968 has become like a thing, you know? 
It, mm-hmm. it, it's clear that it's a real problem, and Americans really don't seem to be liking this this thing that we're doing. And so John Wayne decides, I got to do whatever I can to convince more young boys to throw themselves into this meat grinder. And he decides the best way to do this is by making a movie about the special forces. Now, at this point, that's a pretty new concept. The very first kind of modern special forces teams were in World War II. Some people will say that like the German um, – uh, uh, Fallschirmjäger, some of which were like their 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 paratroopers. They had some units that were kind of the first modern spec ops units. Um, and you have you know some some British and some American units that are kind of experimenting with some of this shit. Vietnam is really where the modern special forces kind of comes together as a distinct thing for the first time in a modern way. Um, mm-hmm. It's where we get the first Green Beret teams, right? That's kind of the 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 first popular concept of special forces comes from these these teams which are initially called a teams which is why the a team was called the a team that president kennedy sends into vietnam in 1961 and they gradually like that's what becomes the the idea of green berets is these these a teams become the green berets and, when's the mr t episode huh uh mr t's never done anything wrong so we're not going to be doing that episode <laughs> look he gave up his chains after hurricane katrina okay what? Yeah, Mr. T gave up because he went to help in the relief efforts, and he was he was horrified by the privation and poverty he saw, and decided it would be obscene for him to continue wearing gold. Damn, this is a story where we yeah. Mr. I T's know that shit. Whole I got story, I got man. nothing to say bad about Mr. T. Yeah, and the cereal was good. What? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he's also uh, super vocal about like vac- vaccinations. And he stuff. thinks it's good to be vaccinated. Yeah. Yes. God yeah. damn it! Mm-hmm. We need strong men like Mr. I, T. I back. pity the fool who cannot appreciate Mr. <laughs> T. Like legitimately pity the fool. Um, so this idea of like specially trained super soldiers that you drop behind enemy lines and they fight under incredible odds, this is like Hollywood fodder. Like as soon as we start having these special forces guys in Vietnam, Hollywood's like, oh shit, this is all we're going to make movies about for forever, right? Like this is, this is the only thing we want to turn into a movie. Now, enter Robin Moore. Robin Moore is a World War II veteran and a journalist who, because of his connections to, I think it was Ted Kennedy, got to go through special forces school as a civilian. He's, I don't know if he's the only, but he's the first civilian to ever do this. And he embeds with the Green Berets in Vietnam. And he's technically a journalist, but he's also like fighting alongside them, which is ethically kind of blurring the lines of journalism. (laughs) He's a real interesting character to study, Robin Moore. Um, Even being embedded is like a little sus. You're always like, yeah, it compromises objectivity anytime you're embedded. Um, Sure. But shooting people is a real violation of any kind of... He burned a few huts. (laughs) He may have burned some huts. A little bit of hut burning. Um, And he's fun because he'll get conned by a dude named Jack Adema during the war in Afghanistan, but that's a lot later when he's an old man. So he writes, he's in the, he spends a bunch of time with these Green Berets. He writes this book, The Green Berets, which is like, it's like on the bestseller list for more than a year. It's a huge hit. People will fucking, and he has to, he has to. In the, during the height of the war, like in 68 and 69? Yeah, it's like 65 or 6, I think, that it it gets published. Yeah, it's like. Um, something I think must have been like 65. Um, so pretty early on, uh, and he publishes this book as a fiction book because he has to do that in order to pretend he's not giving away operational secrets. The government considers prosecuting him because he's writing about a bunch of shit he shouldn't be writing about. (laughs) 
Um, it's a weird call to just let this guy hang out with your special forces, but then he writes a book that pisses them off a lot. And the reason, one of the reasons apparently that they don't go through prosecuting him is that John Wayne buys the film rights from Robin Moore um, in order to make a movie. Um, and so- wow. Yeah, he, like, he well now that Wayne is attached. Well, what happens is he sends a letter to President Lyndon Baines Johnson to try to get his cooperation because he, he basically says, I want to make the first pro-war movie about the Vietnam War to try and build public support for this thing. He writes, quote, we want to show such scenes as the little village that has erected its own statue of liberty to the American people. We want to bring out that if we abandon these people, there will be a bloodbath of over two million souls. We want to show the professional soldier carrying out his duty of death but also his extracurricular activities, helping small communities, giving them medical supplies, toys for their children, and little things like soap. Um, so that's the movie. Like, John Wayne sends this letter. Soap, uh, a.k.a. napalm. Napalm cleans things. <laughs> you know, eventually. There's no bacteria in the wake of a napalm strike. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's all been You want to get rid sanitized. of Giardia, napalm. <laughs> Knocks it right out. Um... A write-up from HistoryNet continues, quote, John Wayne took his first step towards production of the picture in 1965, buying the film rights from the author Moore. The path was cleared in early 1966 when President Johnson's advisor, Jack Valenti, convinced LBJ to give Wayne permission to make the film. Valenti observed, Wayne's politics are wrong, but insofar as Vietnam is concerned, his views are right. If he made the picture, he would be saying the things we once said. So... I mean, he's doing, he's offering it for free. I mean, this is before the U.S. military would bankroll things like Black Hawk Down or it, like fucking even Transformers. They put money behind Transformers and shit. It's fun you say that because this is how that starts. Oh, cute, <laughs> cute, cute, cute. Oh my God, origin story. But you know what else is starting right now, Francesca? Mm, what? The products and services that support this podcast. Their ads yeah. are starting right now. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. 
All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Oh, we're back. Well, I don't know about you, Francesca, but those ads convinced me to become a Green Beret. Wow. I'm going to go fight in Vietnam. Was it a ZipRecruiter ad? It was. It was. It was. <laughs> and it has convinced me to take up the fight. I keep calling the recruiters and they keep saying there's no war in Vietnam. You can't just travel <laughs> to Vietnam and start fighting people like you, you, you'll go to prison forever. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it a shot. You're like We need a social media manager. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. like Green Beret. Green Beret. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um. Oh, my God. So really foreshadowing of the... The U.S. military funding this? Uh-huh. Well, not funding it. It's not quite there yet, but this, okay. this uh, we'll, uh, we'll get into it. So Wayne, John Wayne makes his son, Michael, the film's producer, because nepotism. And in February of 1966, he hires James Lee Barrett, who's a, an, a former Marine and a screenwriter, to draft a screenplay. And the screenplay has very little to do with Robin Moore's book. That's, again, some people will allege part of the agreement he made with the government were like, I'll adapt this into a movie, but I won't include anything from the book, really, because the book is full of a bunch of secrets you didn't want getting out and that's part of why the the lbj administration is like well this this can help us kind of launder away some of the shit we didn't want people to know that's in that book um so the two waynes and barrett visit the defense department uh in fort bragg uh in order to like so they get like approval from the government to see where special forces train and to do research and whatnot and the production receives And this is one of the first times this has happened, uh, a substantial amount of help from the armed forces. Mm. Um, They did pay fees to use DOD property and for some of the equipment leased to them. Um, But a lot of stuff was made free for them as props, which did substantially defray costs. Some biographers like Jensen dispute this, uh, and John Wayne would go on to claim that they paid for everything. This does not seem to have been entirely accurate. Uh, It does seem like they got a good amount of stuff at least subsidized that would have cost more or just not been available if the DOD hadn't played ball. 
And evidence for this can be seen in the fact that the studio allowed the Pentagon to retain script control. Right? Wow. So you had in like 48, you had you had some kind of like partnerships with Hollywood or not in 40 in the 40s for like World War II, you had some partnerships with Hollywood and the DOD. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is the first time though you have like an independent movie that a studio is making on its own that they kind of make a deal with the government in exchange for stuff to give the Pentagon script control. Right. And the DOD does request extensive rewrites and detailed changes to the plot and dialogue. And those changes are made. Uh, This is the first modern movie co-written by the Pentagon in exchange for access to gear and military infrastructure. It is not to the same extent that it will later be right. They're not getting nearly as much shit free. They are paying for more shit. But this is the start of that process. Yeah, I I just think it's incredible that at this time you could turn on the television and just watch. Yeah. Kids coming home in body bags, mm-hmm. uh, children ru- with napalm burns on them. Like the My Lai massacre was yep. very much oh, publicized. We'll, we'll chat about that a magazine. bit. Don't worry. <laughs> but just and you, and you're like, well, but the, this one movie, this is gonna do it. Silver mm-hmm. bullet. Like, gonna turn yeah. it around, baby. I mean, arguably, right? That was the lesson of Vietnam was like, oh, just do the propaganda movies. Don't show what's actually happening yeah. on the ground. Well, and it is this, you can never do it for everybody, but with the right movies at the right time, you can change what happens in a war for a select population, like the movie American Sniper for a certain chunk of Americans has changed the thing they prime like because of how big that movie was in certain chunks of the population a lot of people when they think of the Iraq war don't think about that we of the government lied a shitload to get us in there that our mm-hmm. primary many of our goals were not achieved that there were not weapons of mass destruction that the Iraqi people suffered tremendously that the rebuilding process was corrupt and inefficient they think big strong guy sniper he shoot people good Look at him. He's American mm-hmm. sniper. I got him on a hat. I'm gonna wear it. That's Bradley Cooper, right? Yeah, it's Bradley Cooper. Um, yeah, exactly. That's why when the Hurt Locker, I'm like, man, like mm-hmm. I support women directors, but why does it gotta be Catherine Bigelow doing the Hurt Locker? Like, yeah, really? That's the story. Then the she same. gets on stage and thanks the firefighters. I'm sorry. I'm showing my you, prejudice against. You can't. You <laughs> can't have a, You can't actually have a movie about the Iraq War. Um, because it would be, I mean, there's issues with the movie Vice, but that's an actual movie about the Iraq war to an extent where it's about like the, the, the people and kind of the venal and corrupt attitudes that lead us in there. You can't have a movie about what the Iraq war is actually about, but you can make a bunch of movies about likable dudes in the Iraq war that will make people feel more fondly towards the military and the military industrial complex, as opposed to just be like, all of these wars are disasters, and clearly the people running our defense department are incompetent because look at how these get handled every time. Look at how badly these wars were prosecuted. Yep. That's not like you're not going to get God forbid that from out the of perspective of an Iraqi yeah. either. Yeah, I mean, every now and then, I, I will say this the movie Mosul, which was um, directed yeah. by, it was Carnahan, but it was produced by the Russo brothers. That is a really good movie that does it. There's not like an American in that movie, really. It's all like. Uh, Iraqis, all of the characters. Okay. Uh, they think they're pretty much a good. A buddy of mine, Sangar, was actually like the local consultant on the the cultural consultant on the film. Um, and it does, as someone who was there in Mosul, it does a really good job. I know some of the dudes it was based on here. So you do actually get some really good 
Like it, 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 it doesn't not happen, right? <laughs> like stuff like this, but most people probably haven't seen Mosul and everybody knows about the movie American Sniper. Right. You know, and this doesn't have Bradley. This doesn't right. have Bradley. Yeah. Um, and again, like just this is happening in Vietnam too. Um, the Green Berets becomes the only, I think definitely the first, and I think the only pro-Vietnam movie about Vietnam that comes out during the war. Um what's his name makes platoon specifically because he hates the green berets so much like mm-hmm. the movie platoon is a reaction to how, what a piece of propaganda that green berets is. Is that Oliver Stone or am I? I think it's stone. I think it's stone. Um, yeah, stone. and yeah. he just, he gets uh, yeah. like pissed off by what a piece of bullshit this film becomes. I've never, I need platoon. to see green berets because I've, Never, like I've never seen a positive spin on the Vietnam War. It's, it's pretty fun. I watched it as a kid. My parents wanted me to see it. They thought it was a great movie. One of my uncles was a Green Beret. So like, oh yeah. shit. And it's, uh, I, as what did a kid, your uncle think of it? Um, I mean, he abandoned, anyway, we don't need to get into my uncle. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. We leave yeah, your uncle. We, don't, we don't need to talk about that uncle in particular. I never, right. I never knew him super well, but Got it. like his service was a regular topic in, of discussion. I think that's part of why my mom wanted me to see the Green Berets is to know that what my uncle Jim had done in the Green Berets. Um, but I, this, I don't think this is a particularly accurate movie about what the Green Berets did. And it's certainly like, it's filmed in Fort Bragg. It's very obviously not Vietnam. It's like pine tree forests all over oh my God. like it could yes. not look less like vietnam <laughs> um so this film though would start to prove to be kind of the start of what is to date a decades-long co- collaboration between hollywood and the dod um you know it's a, it's a proof of concept the film is utterly panned by reviewers and it actually sparked anti-war protests in new york los angeles and other cities that because they protest it makes conservatives loves the, love the film even more right like sure you you hear oh, there's this yeah. there's this movie about our brave soldiers and they're protesting it in la like that's not going to do anything but make you love it more <laughs> absolutely yeah. suddenly it's mm-hmm. it's it's become a martyr of the right yep, yeah they love that yeah. stuff roger ebert called it cowboy and indian idiotic uh renata adler of the new york times called it vile and insane uh none of this stopped it from being a huge commercial success earning 12 million dollars which is uh, all of the money in the world in 1968 dollars and giving john wayne a, an excuse to call the bad reviews quote ridiculously one-sided blind stupid criticism of of our picture that made real people more conscious of just how honest we were. Anti-American. I do same <gasps> uh, so myself. They tried to cancel us, but can't cancel America. This is like what the Daily Wire is going to try to remake. Yes, They're going to yes. like remake the Green Berets and Shapiro's going to fund it. Now, here's the thing. John Wayne was talented. So right. we are, I am a little less worried about Ben Shapiro. Because <laughs> John hey. Wayne had things he was good at. <laughs> there was there's the other Quigley sister. It's like Margaret yeah. Quigley, and then there's and it, the there's and you've the got James actor. Woods. Uh, James Woods. Yeah, there's one other washed up right wing celebrity, and you've got like Kirk Cameron. Get them all together. Get your yes. A team together. <laughs> Do a new A team reboot with just like disgraced conservative actors. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. I need to see that. Yeah. Your, have have the have the have your like uh Bosley be uh uh Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. Introducing mm. Kyle Rittenhouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Turns yeah, out that cry up. was fake. 
Kyle Rittenhouse and James Woods in a fucking action shoot 'em up. Ah, oh, yeah, do it, do it. We dare you. Mm-hmm. We want to see this, but yeah. So it's interesting. I do, I he, do legitimately want to see that movie. <laughs> it'll happen. It will happen. Something like that will Kyle happen. Kyle Rittenhouse will get cast in an action movie within the next couple of years for sure. <sighs> It is just interesting that, like, even though he was a good actor, like, this sucked. And it was, like, 68, 69, like, 69 it came out. Well, it's, I think it sucked. I think you would probably think it sucked. Most reviewers think it sucked. Well, a lot of people Ebert. don't. A lot of people, like, and they're not, like, when I say it's successful, they're not, like, just blindly buying it to own the libs. They enjoy it. It's a movie that's got some cool action sequences and shit. Like, it's not a good movie about the Vietnam War, but as a movie, it succeeds in making the audience happy. Got it. So, you know. Like, so it, it like, mission accomplished. Yeah, mission absolutely accomplished. accomplished. Um, and, and Wayne makes a big deal in, like, the, the ads for this, or in the, the PR campaign for this movie, the fact that he visited Vietnam and, like, spent time with soldiers on his own without handlers. He was, like, adjacent to combat. He's on, like, chunks of the line where there is shooting. Um, and he gets really popular with a lot of soldiers he meets there because they're like, oh, hey, this guy who I saw in movies as a kid who, like, influenced my conception of manhood is, like, here, standing on the line. Uh, That's great. Um, So, you know, some of them think this is cool. There's obviously a lot of Vietnam veterans, perhaps even significantly more Vietnam veterans, who have been in combat and see this movie and are like, well, this is just rank gross propaganda. But it's not, like, one-sided. There are a lot of Vietnam veterans who like the fact that he does this. Um... But it also must have been like the death of a hero for a lot of the kids. When they realize, well, yeah. Who were actually there and saw their friends die and got injured and maimed and for what? That, like it's kind of that moment where you're you're like your hero you realize is like a vicious right winger. It's this moment a lot of people have in um a lot of uh, British kids have in World War One when they realize that all of these poems they had been told, read about like the glory of war and all of these lurid paintings of colonial <laughs> victories are like, no, here's what it's really like to get shot at by a machine gun. There's nothing glorious or manly about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that there are a bunch of people who have that and a bunch of kids who like had joined and volunteered for Vietnam in part because of the things that John Wayne had led them to believe about masculinity. Um, in Jesus and John Wayne, Dumez writes, as one working class Vietnam veteran later recalled, he went to Vietnam to kill a commie for Jesus Christ and John Wayne. It was Sands of wow. Iwo Jima that inspired Ron Kovic to volunteer for the Marines during the Vietnam War, a war that would cost him the use of his legs and lead to a disenchantment with war that he chronicled in his memoir, Born on the Fourth of July. Off-screen, too, Wayne worked to recruit young men to the war effort, ridiculing as soft those who didn't enlist. One critic labeled Wayne the most important man in America, given the role his films played in driving American engagement in Vietnam. Kovics would later say, on his previously John and Wayne-inspired ideas about war and manhood, I gave my dead dick for John Wayne. (laughs) Oh, my God. And he made a necklace out of them. Just a bunch of dead American John John dicks. Wayne, just a bunch of kids' dicks on his neck. Yeah. Kids' dicks adorning him like a headdress. Like, this is... He does get a bracelet from the Montagnards, but yeah. <laughs> this is still his unfulfilled World War II... Yes! Um, yes. Like, 
whatever fantasy or or shame really mm-hmm. that he's like well i'm gonna send other people to die now that is what a lot of people who knew him suggest is that he never got over his shame for failing to serve in world war ii so he decided like this is how i'm gonna overcome it is by getting all these kids to serve in my place in this other war you know i i didn't come through then but i'm gonna come through now for america by getting all these kids to die in a jungle uh for nothing I mean, what's crazy is that, like, today you would see John Wayne and this career path and be like, oh, he's an op. Mm-hmm. Like, he was created by the CIA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's been a DOD, like, op from the beginning. And he's not. Like, he just no, he's, did this it, stuff. They benefit from it, sure. But he's, he's, he's motivated by his own shame because he realizes that being the guy he is, he should have fucking done something in World War II. Yeah. Um, and he did not. What I mean is he just seems like he was created in a lab of like mm-hmm. all of America's lies just like is, sewn together yeah. in some, you know, evil scarecrow. He's he's all of our lies sewn together in a package that unfortunately is really good at a specific kind of acting. And it allows him to, <laughs> yeah, just like stand in front of men and get them to sign up to go fight in Vietnam and, and ridicule people as soft for refusing to do it. Um, if John cool. Wayne slapped someone at the Oscars... Well, we're we're building to that, Francesca. So, (laughs) the ballot or the Green Berets launched six months after the Tet Offensive put a lie to the idea that the U.S. was particularly close to a victory in Vietnam. Within months of its release, the first rumors of the My Lai massacre had begun to percolate out into the culture. So, right after this movie, we find out that American soldiers have killed hundreds of civilians brutally. Um, in the sacking of this village. So the Green Berets had shown U.S. soldiers spending most of their time helping adorable kids and like building up villages and infrastructure projects. The reality was that very often U.S. troops killed those same kids and blew those villages to bits. John Wayne portrayed war crimes as purely the purview of the Viet Cong. While reality proved him wrong over and over again, large numbers of conservatives tucked their heads into the comforting lie he had offered them. John Wayne referred to the Milai mass as the so-called Milai Massacre and oh redirected God. any questions about it to lurid claims about atrocities committed against our people by the Viet Cong. It's again, this like whataboutism where it's like, yeah. yeah, it's a war. You can always find bad things that every side has done in a war. But he's pretending that like, oh, Americans are just there handing out clean water and these mean old Viet Cong are killing them for some reason. For, mm-hmm. for no reason at all. Um yeah, uh, so much was so called me yeah. lie. Yeah, so there's not even a village. He, he would be like, "Look, there's so much going on in Vietnam that there's no good reason." Quote: One little incident in the United States Army should make a fuss. The reality, <laughs> the sad thing. reality. I mean, the sad reality is, I feel like there are way more me lies that we just don't know about. There's a number we do know about. There were quite a few times shit like that <laughs> yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We remember this one, but there were many, many, many mm-hmm. others we don't have at the tip yeah. of our tongue the the images of which were not particularly even you know they weren't captured the journalist wasn't there on the ground at the right moment at the right time or, or i mean the thing the reason Milai becomes what it is is because one of the officers who sees it like threatens to machine gun everybody if they don't stop and then reports yes. it like landed um, his helicopter yeah in between civilians and was yeah. like fucking stop a cool dude uh yep. way a way cooler dude than john wayne 
Indeed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, other far right figures rushed in to assure John Wayne that he was right on the money. Um, and he is, to you know, still to this day popular with a segment of Vietnam veterans who want to believe that they were there for a reason or that their kids were there for a reason fighting a fight that needed to be fought. No less a fascist luminary than Douglas MacArthur told John Wayne that he represented, quote, the American serviceman better than the American serviceman himself. There it is. Here's what's funny about there that. There it is. General Douglas MacArthur fired from his job prosecuting the Korean War for, number one, not being great at it, and number two, uh, uh, wanting, asking for permission to nuke China and Russia repeatedly. Um <laughs> Douglas please, Ma- please, 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 Douglas MacArthur, please. famous for his, you know, command of U.S. forces in the Philippines. Uh, also the dude, like he's saying that he, John Wayne represents the American serviceman better than the American serviceman. During the Bonus Army marches, which is when a bunch of U.S. World War I veterans were like marching during the Great Depression to get the money that they were promised by the government. Douglas MacArthur led the forces that gunned them down with tanks and machine guns oh as they God. marched out D.C. So I really want to hear who Douglas MacArthur thinks represents the American serviceman best. He seems like a good source on that. Douglas MacArthur would never do the American serviceman has been wrong by, say, killing many of them for protesting because they're not getting paid. I love you, like, fucking Douglas MacArthur. The amount of times shit, I was told dude. that piece of shit was a hero as a kid makes me want to light some things on fucking fire. And by the <laughs> way, Patton was there with him, so fuck them all. Damn. Well, that is, I mean, sadly, this is... This is the American military, and it mm-hmm. always has been, right? We like the myth better than the actual soldier. Fuck the soldier. Fuck the soldier. We want the, we want the John Wayne. I mean, it's the same thing. Soldiers Again, are inconvenient as hell. A lot of them oh, have experiences that are really hard to monetize. I know. They're never posing. They don't know what to do with the props mm-hmm. ever. Some you of them I mean? are They're, sad. Ugh. They're mm-hmm. always just attached to home life. Anyway, but mm-hmm. it is... You. This sounds like the crassness, and I hate to bring it to, to now because I'm just like, fuck, we've always been this way. But you hear that crassness. You know, I'm not going to defend John McCain, but saying that like he was like a loser because he was uh, yeah. captured. You hear that you have, and then you've got like fucking Trump leaning over, you know, World War One and two soldiers being like, what was this? Why did they die? Losers. Mm-hmm. Only yeah, losers I mean, die. Fucking- like, that is. Within the context of this episode, at least McCain, as like a rich kid who didn't have to, went and got fucked up. Um, Right. I have a lot more respect for John Kerry because he wasn't bombing people um, and also got fucked up. But, you know, at least both of them, unlike John Wayne, put skin in the game, you know? Right. Um, John Wayne didn't even have like that. Uh, I, I guess it's one of those things. I guess it's morally better to advocate for an unjust war and serve in it than it is to advocate for an unjust war and refuse to serve in it. I think that's I, fair I, to I, say. I feel like that, that does sound weird, but at least it, it, at least it's evident. It's like with fucking, um, what's his name? The star who like testified, who like went against his studio to go like talk at the fucking, um, to name names and shit. At least he was putting his skin in the game, I guess. Right. It's not, I don't know, better and worse are useless terms for this, but at least like, it it points to the fact that well this person did believe in the shitty thing they were you're doing. You're just not a hypocrite. You're not just a total fucking empty hypocrite, right? Yes. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's weird. I, I, I don't want to be like trying to mark any of this down as moral lessons because it's it's bad to bomb people, John McCain. Don't mark but, things down, um, kids. I, I just at least like, I don't know. I'm more, there's something more unsettling about a person who like is so empty that all of these things are just posturing for them. And I don't know how much that is true for, because some of it may be that John Wayne really did believe he should have served in World War II and kind of hated himself. And that's what's driving him to do this. I don't know. There's a lot of complicated shit going on in uh, that has a lot to say about masculinity. This podcast isn't going to say all of it, but it's definitely stuff I think about a bunch. Yeah. I don't, I don't like emotionally unavailable men. That's like your first boyfriend. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then you move on and you're like, I mean, I've been that boyfriend for a lot of people, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't going to say anything, Robert, Mm -hmm. but. You know, you just learn, gotta learn to open up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he's he's pretty happy after the Green Berets. Uh, this really cements him in the right wing as this kind of like militant archon of masculinity. It wipes away this sort of shame of his failure to serve in World War II. Um, it gets him, you know, he's, he's he. it kind of helps him settle into his new role as an elder conservative icon. Ronald Reagan actually reaches out to him and is like, Hey, bro, you know what you ought to do is become governor of California. Like, we could put your ass in the White House one day. And thank God he says no. He's not in great health, you know? Thank God he Um, preferred Because he would have won, for sure would have won. He definitely would have won. Oh, with our history? I can't imagine a few, uh, I can't imagine a series of events in which John Wayne runs for governor of California and loses. I can't conceive of it. (laughs) No, we we are trash here in Mm. this state. We, we've, I mean, look at how many times Arnold we've done won, it. and he's a way better person than John Wayne. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very true. Not a good it, uh, person, but better. <laughs> yeah, dude, what does Arnold do for American masculinity? I, I honestly, I think he was probably a better. I think as I think as the fucking Terminator, he was a healthier symbol of American masculinity than John Wayne. Because a big thing the Terminator stands for is like putting yourself before or putting your child before a kid before yourself and like making the success and happiness of that child, the entire like motive force of your life. Right. Like there's actually some nice things in that movie, nice dad stuff in that movie about a killer cyborg. He actually will be back. He's not like John Wayne is going to go start another fucking family. No, he's going to be back in some increasingly hard to follow sequels that we don't need to talk about. (laughs) Um, Whatever. I, I, broadly speaking, the the cyborg killer bot from the future is a better symbol of of uh, emotionally available manhood than any John Wayne character. Yes, that, that is that, that very is right. funny. I like that. <laughs> um. So yeah, uh, John Wayne chose not to get into politics in an electoral capacity, but he did spend the rest of his life bloviating about politics readily, as this passage from the book Jesus and John Wayne makes clear. In a 1971 interview in Playboy, Wayne was particularly harsh in his assessment of the blacks, or colored, or whatever they might want to call themselves. They certainly aren't Caucasian. With a lot of blacks, there's quite a lot of resentment along with their descent, and possibly rightly so. Possibly rightly so. (laughs) 
but we can't all of a sudden get down on our knees and turn everything over to the leadership of the blacks. I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to a point of responsibility. I don't believe in giving authority and positions of leadership and judgment to irresponsible people. As far as African-American representation in his own films, Wayne asserted that he'd given the blacks their proper position. He had a black slave in the Alamo and he had a correct number of blacks in the Green Berets. His views on Native Americans were no more enlightened. I don't feel we did wrong in taking this great country away from the Native Americans. Our so-called stealing of this country from them was just a matter of survival. People needed land and the Indians were selfishly trying to keep it for themselves. <laughs> Outstanding shit, John Wayne. Incredibly oh, boomer. buddy, keep telling yourself that and finish the bottle. That is, I just, it's, it's um, sometimes kind of, uh, I feel like I'm looking at racism in a terrarium. Yeah. Like it's so crystallized and perfect. It like, is. It, it's. Oh, I don't hate them. They're just, uh, you know, second class citizens and they're not responsible and they're idiots. <laughs> and, and it's it's a very specific kind of racist in that I don't think today John Wayne would have, if he was around today, he would never call himself a white supremacist in an interview. No. He, not to say he wouldn't have believed the same things. It meant back then, if you admit said you were, you believed in white supremacy, you know, until they're educated or whatever, that's not controversial. That's not a fringe right wing thing. That does not identify Sadly, you as part yes. of a dangerous political sect in 1971. And part of the evidence for that is that, like, the only people who get angry when he says this are, like, black publication. There's, there's, there's like, no impact on the mainstream because John Wayne right. says this. Liberals are like, well, he's got a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, the it, leaders are crazy. Or they're more just like, oh, well, you know, he's, that's, just, that's just John Wayne. You know, that's just how certain people think. Um, sure. And, like, it's, it's not – it's not the same as uh, calling yourself a white supremacist in 2022 would be. Like he's not ma- he's not identifying himself with a fringe of of the political spectrum here. It he's, sort of reminds me of Oh god, I hate I hate doing the show mm-hmm. and bringing up like mm-hmm. like uh co- like a present day examples mm-hmm. but it reminds me of joe arpaio going in front of that like fringe cpac group yes oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. whatever yes. it was yeah and, re- and being like yeah. some people say i'm a racist and everyone's like yeah cheering and he's like well wait i was supposed to hey, <laughs> the point was that i'm not why are you cheering <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good yeah. thing and they're like no we've changed <laughs> we Nazis love racists yeah, I could see John Wayne getting like tricked by something like that, and he probably <laughs> yeah. would have like backpedaled again, not because he's not racist, but because he would not be the kind of guy who would want to like look bad. Like right. he doesn't. John Wayne would not have wanted to completely alienate himself from like his liberal friends or from like the academy and shit. Like he was not. It was not. He was not that kind of political figure. You know. Sure, Hollywood um, number one. Yeah, yeah. So he would have. I think he would have. He would have choose. He would have said the same thing in different words if he was interviewed today. You know, yeah, um, yeah. slightly more careful words. Unless he was really drunk, then he would have said the same thing, and it would have been a problem for him. Um, but not that big a problem. He would have been okay. But, but it, yeah, but still, even without white supremacy in there, which is yeah jarring, it is mm-hmm. a perfect distillation yes. of a lot of white American thinking. Yes, at the time and yeah. sometimes currently. Again, he's not like fringe in any way this is all very mainstream stuff yeah yeah um you know what else is mainstream what the products and services that support this podcast 
Like racism, they're all deeply woven into the fabric of American society. How's that, Sophie? Is that good? I, I think you, you crushed it, my friend. Is that good? That going to make him happy? All right. Loved it. Beautiful. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Uh, we're doing great, folks. We're back. We're happy. <laughs> Everybody's smiling. Everybody's laughing. This Sophie's, has a Hollywood ending, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does have an ending. <laughs> and that ending occurs probably in Hollywood. Um, so, uh, John Wayne, while I, th- I think he probably would have 
been more careful today than he was in 1971. I should note that he also blew his cover as a giant racist on several occasions, and one of those would have been the 1973 Oscars. This is the most recent reason John Wayne went viral in the wake of Will Smith lightly slapping a dude. Um, and the ju- <laughs> uh, Let's say moderately slapping a dude. Um, I was waiting for the Evans take on this. I'm like, it's, it's Robert's fine. like, Who that gives wasn't a, a good shit? slap. It, no, uh, I think it was a really good film slap, right? Like, it yeah. looked, it read on camera really well. Um, but yeah, so people brought up when (laughs) I'm frustrated it's weeks later and there's still think pieces coming out about this. Yeah. One of the things people said, I've got a forthcoming one. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. There was this, there was this fucking stuff about like, uh, you know, Will Smith getting canceled and like, but nothing happened to John Wayne when, and then they would talk about this story that we're about to talk about. So the gist of the story. And you're like, yeah, okay. This is a good one. So Marlon Brando, right? Uh, Famously not a problematic dude. uh, Star of the Isle of Dr. Moreau and probably a couple of other movies. Got nominated for best actor for his role in The Godfather, which is not nearly as good a movie as The Isle of Dr. Moreau, but whatever. So, Brando had struck up what seems to be a really legitimate and honest friendship with an indigenous uh, American activist named Sashin Littlefeather. Mm-hmm. She was of Apache and Yaqui descent and was angry at Hollywood for a wide variety of understandable reasons. Uh, and Brando agreed with her about the things she was angry about. So he decides he's going to turn down the Oscar if he wins it. Um So she's hanging out with him the night that he's supposed to, like, go to the Oscars, and he's typing out this eight-page speech in case he wins. And this speech, he wanted to use his podium to protest the wrongs being that had been done to Native Americans by Hollywood, right? So the unjust and racist portrayal of indigenous people in decades of cowboy movies, including a bunch of John Wayne movies. And he's also specifically, he and and Littlefeather are specifically angry about Wounded Knee. So this is a battle, uh, which is a bunch of, Mm -hmm. uh, just a horrible, horrible battle. And at this moment, moment in 73 it's the site of a standoff between native activists and the feds over the murder of a lakota man right so that's going on while the oscars are about to happen um and so brando decides he's going to turn if he wins the best actor he's going to turn that into a place to talk about them um so little feather helps him put together this speech uh and then kind of at the last moment he's like well, what if you deliver it, right? I shouldn't deliver it. Like, why don't you go? Don't touch, don't even touch the Oscar. Don't take it. Just deliver the speech in my stead, right? Um, If you want to. And she wants to. So he gives her the speech he's written. But when she arrives, the presenters, number one, see that like, oh shit, Brando's sent this person here. She wants to give a speech. Um, You can't have more than 60 seconds. You can't read that eight page thing that Marlon Brando gave you. Um, so she has to come up with something kind of on the fly, and here's what she comes up with. Hello, my name is Sashin Littlefeather. I'm Apache, and I'm president of the National Native American Affirmative Image Committee. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening, and he has asked me to tell you in a very long speech, which I cannot share with you presently because of time but I will be glad to share with the press afterwards that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry, excuse me, and on television in movie reruns 
and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I beg at this time that I have not intruded upon this evening and that we will, in the future, our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Thank you on behalf of Marlon Brando. So that's it's, lovely. Yeah. It's like so much more cordial than any account. Extremely at, polite. Yes. Yeah. That any account you will read of what happened mm-hmm. and and how it happened. She is like insanely soft-spoken, but uh, but firm and like apologetic. I don't, I hope I didn't ruin your night. And yeah, like. I, we're so appreciative of the award, but we just can't take it because of like, yeah. It's very, very mild. And it's incredible that Hollywood stopped with any kind of racist portrayals of Native Americans from that point. Never again happened. Never again happened. I'm going to Google Johnny Depp real quick. No reason. (laughs) Absolutely no reason why I'm doing this. Just typing it into Google. (laughs) So, um, yeah, she gets a lot of support that night you hear a lot of clapping a lot of cheers um you do hear some booze though not an insignificant amount now i think we both are in agreement you would have to be a crazy asshole to take any offense at that whatsoever um it's a pretty uh polite and very very mild statement of conviction um that is not how john wayne takes it uh (laughs) and i'm gonna read another quote from the guardian here and this is um, this is uh, starts with Little Feather talking. She's interviewed for this piece. During my presentation, he was coming towards me to forcibly take me off the stage, and he had to be restrained by six security men to prevent oh him from doing God. so. <laughs> Presenting Best Picture soon after, also for The Godfather, Clint Eastwood quipped, I don't know if I should present this award on behalf of all the cowboys shot and all the John Ford Westerns over the years. When Little Feather got backstage, she says, there were people making stereotypical Native American war cries at her and miming chopping with a tomahawk. After wow. talking to the press, she went straight back to Brando's house where they sat together and watched the reactions to the event on television. Was John Wayne just there like, get my movies out your fucking mouth. Yeah, he was he he would have hit her probably if he could have. He was ready to. Six men. <laughs> get my <laughs> He's a movies. big guy. Six men and she's like tiny. Doesn't look like a big person. No. Um of course sandwiched by oh god just John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. They're still like Clint Eastwood still mad about that. I would have what would have been amazing is if Brando had done it and the security guards hadn't been there, and we'd gotten to see a fist fight between fat, aging Marlon Brando and fat, aging, drunken John Wayne at the Oscars. That That would have been amazing. That would have been incredible. Oh, my God, what a moment that would have been. I do feel like that. I mean, look, the ratings were good this last Mm -hmm. Oscars, and I do think that we should have old, drunk, Mm washed-up actors like mm-hmm. wrestling each yeah. other on stage. I want to see fucking... Brando bottle John Wayne with some fucking wine. Just like yes. nail him in the skull. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, Orson Welles also has like one of the most memorable on screen drunk moments where he's trying to do the ad for that <laughs> wine. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, the French. French. <laughs> <laughs> like throw uh, Orson up there. Yeah. Have them all fight. Good. Fuck it. <laughs> so. Uh, Sashin is the primary source we have on this. 
Um, but I don't have any particular trouble believing it. John Wayne had a history of hitting women, sometimes in public. Um, and to reinforce that, we should talk a bit here about how his marriage to his second wife, Chata, ended. Yeah, uh, how's that going? Yeah, well, this is actually happens back in 1946. I'm sorry for jumping around. This just seemed like the natural place to put this. That was so soon. Here's, bu- yeah, it's right. They are not together long. Um, here's BuzzFeed summing up the details. The problem was that the current Latin American wife wasn't fulfilling her domestic duties, which is why they were divorcing, and why Chata, infuriated and bitter, was alleging horrible things about the Duke in court, that he'd blackened her eye, pulled her from bed and beat her, given her multiple bruises, called her obscene names, and was manhandling her in front of guests. He went someplace where there were strip teasers, call girls, prostitutes, or whatever you want to call them, she testified. He came home the next morning very drunk and with a big black bite on his neck. This was a human being bite. Wayne's lawyer countered that Chata was a drunk who stayed out all night and returned with grass stains on her clothes and during their estrangement entertained a male guest at their residence while Wayne was on set. The divorce drama threatened to become a huge scandal, but Wayne forked over a substantial amount of alimony. The two settled and his image remained unscathed, in part because allegations of domestic abuse weren't yet taken seriously, but also because Wayne's alleged actions were not out of line with his on-screen image, which had him regularly verbally abusing women and, if not giving them black eyes, then manhandling, throwing them over shoulders, and generally putting them in their place when necessary. So, mm. you know, Johnny Wayne. I really, I just was so invested in this one. Yeah. I felt like, you know. It was going to be the one. Um, this was going to be I like, I like in that quote was alleging horrible things about the Duke. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. All right, Marion. The Duke married his third wife in 1954. <laughs> the Duke. Um, the two did origin- uh, did eventually divorce. Um, they s- stayed in each other's lives to some extent. She's interviewed after his death and still speaks very highly of him. So, again, these are not, to the extent that he was abusive, uh, everyone he was with in the past doesn't speak negatively of him. His kids all seem to speak positively of him. They claim publicly he was a good father. Um he was in general a charming man and a good friend to a number of people. Uh, more than that, he seems to have just been kind of a magnetically charismatic person, and it's easy to forgive certain things of people like that. We do it as a society pretty much constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, also tall. Can we back also to tall, tall privilege? Does not hurt. Um, In 1977, when he turned 70, an article in the right-wing journal Human Events tried to explain Wayne's allure as the fact that he represented a basic American breed, the tall Celt of pioneer Scots, Irish, and English descent. The book Jesus and John Wayne continues. All of Wayne's greatest hits involved valiant white men battling and usually subduing non-white populations, the Japanese, Native Americans, or Mexicans. Like Teddy Roosevelt, Wayne's rugged masculinity was realized through violence, and it was a distinct white male ideal yeah yep i i feel like like groups today like those sort yeah just like neo-nazi groups full of you know sort of um virgins like they probably all get together and watch old john wayne movies and are like aha like unironically some of them love that stuff it's more they just put his face on things because modern action movies are a lot better at keeping your attention and if you were to watch his latest movie like what's funny the last movie he does the shootest like the basic plot of the shootest is there's this old gunfighter who's dying of cancer like wayne was kind of at the time Uh uh-huh and he wants to engineer a last gunfight to kill himself um so he wants to like set up a situation whereby he can have a last gunfight and die um, cause he, otherwise cancer's going to get him. And instead he gets shot in the back and killed. 
um, which is like a weirdly show like suggests a weird amount of self-knowledge for John Wayne that like that's how that's the movie he goes out in this movie about uh, uh, this like manly archon of like badassness in his aging years who's trying to get in like who's trying to set up one last fight so he can die with dignity and get shot in the back instead it's interesting yeah. that he, he no, that's I, the that's... last thing he does yeah right because cancer you know it it's just like care it's, just how not a, you are. Yeah. it's not a great way to go out no it's, it's a pretty shitty way to go out um so yeah, uh, in his declining years, when he filmed again some of his best movies, Wayne upped the ante on his conservative rhetoric, screeching at cowards who spit in the faces of the police and judicial sob sisters. Human Events wrote that, as a man he is loathed and demeaned by sanctimonious liberals and a whole mess of bug-out-on-America hypocrites, but Wayne was top-shelf with freedom fans who thrilled to the big guy's charge. John Wayne judicial uh, system. What's what is that a re- in reference to? People who are angry that the criminal justice system imprisons and murders innocent people. Oh, it's just like one of those sisters. Yeah, those li- pumpkin lilies. Yeah, yeah, pumpkin lilies. That's right. Pumpkin That's exactly lily. Judicial pumpkin lily. <laughs> so John Wayne dies on June eleventh, nineteen seventy nine, of ass cancer. He never lived to see the entirety of the world he built come to fruition. But by nineteen seventy nine, the electoral power of the left had been solidly broken. Not Indeed. long after his death, Ronald Reagan, his old buddy, would be elected president. He would be followed by George H. W. Bush, and then the next liberal president to follow would be considerably further right than most Democrats had been in John Wayne's day. There are numerous reasons for these shifts, which we've discussed in many podcasts, but the seductive, intoxicating vision of manhood, which stuck in the heads of millions of men who are still alive and voting today, played a strong role. As Kristen Cobbs Dumez writes, John Wayne become an icon, became an icon of rugged American manhood for generations of conservatives. Pat Buchanan parroted Wayne in his presidential bid. Newt Gingrich called Wayne's Sands of Iwo Jima the formative movie of my life. And Oliver North echoed slogans from that film in his 1994 Senate campaign. In time, Wayne would also emerge as an icon of Christian masculinity. Evangelicals admired and still admire him for his toughness and his swagger. He protected the weak, and he wouldn't let anything get in the way of his pursuit of justice and order. Wayne was not an evangelical Christian, despite rumors to this effect regularly circulated by evangelicals themselves. He did not live a moral life by the standards of traditional Christian virtue. Yet for many evangelicals, Wayne would come to symbolize a different set of virtues, a nostalgic yearning for a mythical Christian America, a return to traditional gender roles, and the reassertion of white patriarchal authority. Mm. Yes. So, mm, just back on the ranch. Mm-hmm. None of these just sissy None jobs, of these office lilies. jobs, pumpkin mm-hmm. lily content creators, TikTok dancers, casting pods in their basements. Fucking weak shit. Mm-hmm. Where? When can we conquer some shit? Let's deconquer so we can reconquer the West. Mm-hmm. That's what I say. Decolonize to recolonize. Who's with me? Decolonize America, recolonize (laughs) England. I just, we need like, this is why um, the show that I don't watch, Westworld, but that's why like that made sense. Because you're like, you need a simulation Mm -hmm. for men who feel inferior to get their rocks off in a safe place. 
Obviously, then the robots are sentient. That's bad. They don't want them to. Yeah, feel. I, I only watched the first season of that, which I did like, but I'm not. I know, I understand it goes some places. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> you know, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But that's, yeah, that like fine. Yeah. you need Disneyland for adults. Yeah, yeah, and that John Wayne is 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 a big a big help. He he does a lot of work to create this cultural Disneyland. This like mental vacation space we have for white men to imagine that there was a time in which if I'd only been born then I would have been a real big man on the range you know yeah. I would have been carving out a new America and I would have had a, a woman who loved me and didn't have a career of her own and everything would have been perfect absolutely mm-hmm. and then but it was just a few more years before like you know grunge came around it was like, thank god yeah that did wonders for angsty white men hell yeah and then, you know, suddenly, well, that's not cool anymore. Mm-mm. Nope. <sighs> now masculinity is just, it's all willy-nilly. And we've got, you know, Disney groomers or whatever mm-hmm. we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> everything's gotten dumber since. Um. Um, I, yeah, I, it's, I'm fascinated by that because I don't like, I don't respond trying to think of like action heroes that like i respond to like where i get like ting where like spidey like oh hell yeah i want to be that mm-hmm. i don't have that like was that jean claude for you was it so Sol- is stallone is it schwarzenegger oh, you know, like for, who's for, the for me it was um it was bruce willis and Die Hard. right yeah. that was the movie i saw as a kid that was like well and and actually i'm honestly like much more than that it was indiana jones right i think for sure. a lot of men in my like that was the harrison ford at his peak that's a leading man right there totally and he's but he's kind of funny right he's got a little he's he got like a sense funny. of humor yeah he's he's very he's incredibly charming he's cheeky that's why he keeps getting out charming. of jail every time he crashes a plane into a golf course nobody can get angry <laughs> nobody can stay angry at harrison ford <laughs> No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Ford makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, also old. Also kind of older. Yeah, uh, for a lot of his movies, he's he's got. I mean, you know, he's pretty he's pretty young and swole in them Indiana Jones movies, but not swole, the later, m- not really? the most recent one. He was for the. It's very funny because if you watch the behind the scenes for the second Indiana Jones movie, there's a ton about like how intense his workout schedule was to get him that jacked, and he's like he's like a, <laughs> he's like he's like the guy you would cast as like a skinny office worker in a modern movie. But yeah, we didn't know how to get people jacked back then. We weren't as good at it. Modern jacked technology just didn't exist. Nope. That HGH just mm-hmm. wasn't flowing. Yeah, we, back we, then. Didn't have, we didn't have as much HGH <laughs> as we were gonna have. <laughs> I wonder what what Bruce what uh who were we talking about? <laughs> uh, John Wayne. Yeah. John Wayne would think about that. Bruce Wayne. Mm. Oh lord. I mean, but you um, also did have this period because, like, Indiana Jones is kind of like right before you start to have this, like, all of these super jacked action stars. That's when like Arnold and Stallone and yes. Van Damme. Uh, and then they all give way to uh, Bruce Willis in Die Hard, where it's like, now we're going to have like the everyman badass. And then 9-11 happens. Uh, and then, Right. Now we then, have the soldier badass. And, they all, and now they're super jacked again. Yeah. Who got people through the 80s? That was Robert. like the Stallones and the Schwarzeneggers. Yeah. yeah. But later, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. But late seventies, late seventies, yeah, late seventies. You've got your Indiana Jones, and you've got uh, Dirty Harry, right? You got Clint Eastwood as Dirty uh, Harry, Clint. where he is kind of like a skinny, wiry dude, Clint, right? Clint, Clint, Clint Eastwood, yeah. count out Clint. Yeah. Can't count out Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Mm-mm. 
Nope. There's plenty of chairs that need a stern talking to. Look, masculinity is complex. Um, is it? No. <laughs> not not really. Not, honestly, not, not very much at all. Uh, that's why it's so easy for Hollywood to market to. Now, Robert, when you watch, like, John Wayne movies, are, is there part of you that's like, I get it, you know? You're like, I, I could I, see how this would be appealing. I think some of his movies are really good. Um, yeah. Like, fucking True Grit's a solid, solid film in a lot yeah. of ways. Uh, I do I do really like, actually, um, the, the remake with um, the dude in it. But, you know, yeah, like as a kid, I watched a bunch of John Wayne movies. Like they're, they're really well shot. I w- I, I, I've always preferred more about the old Westerns, the way they're shot, the way the music is directed, kind of like the sense of rather than any of the specific dialogue or characters is like the kind of tone that they have. The vibe. Yeah. There's, there's vibes that are very appealing in those movies, in part because just right. a lot of really talented people were making some very beautifully shot Westerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautifully shot propaganda but hey but yeah, still yeah, sure all art is propaganda as orwell would would tell now, us now did he have 50 pounds of meat in his intestine upon death mm-hmm. uh i don't know probably i i don't i don't think there's any evidence of that but God damn it. maybe you know um maybe <laughs> <laughs> it, that, let the meat in John, exhume the body. Let, let the meat stuck in John Wayne's corpse be the Santa Claus of your beliefs about yes karma. I don't really know what the message would be if there is a lot of meat. Be the gerbil in, in Richard Gere's asshole. Yeah, be the gerbil in Richard Gere's asshole. That's all. I think that's a good line to end on. Everyone, <laughs> go out there, be the gerbil you want to see in Richard Gere's asshole. You know. <laughs> God, that's an that's an that's an old Hollywood rumor. Like four, such an four old, people are gonna remember that. Such an old rumor. I think the lesson is what is the le- you don't need um to subjugate people of color or uh Japanese or Native Americans um in order to feel masculine and strong and powerful. Um you might need to serve your country, that might help. I don't know if it's the one war where that's a good idea. If it's um, the one war where it's good. Yeah. And uh and and yeah, and also like I feel like this all ended in Brokeback Mountain. Like Brokeback Mountain really just that was it. It was like, "Oh yeah, we can't be stoic anymore because cuz Ennis." I don't know. I think that's very stoic. That's a stoic ass movie. It is a stoic ass movie, but yeah. I'm saying like like the the sort of the idea that you're like that bottled up emotionally, you're like, man, I think maybe, you know, maybe, maybe there's more going on here. Maybe you're not fishing maybe up by the river. Maybe can be. This is why I'm so excited about Pedro Pascal as a, as a male lead. A lot of exciting new visions of manhood that Pedro Pascal is. It is neat. I think actually there is something to be said about the fact that, and you can say this probably maybe does start with some of James Cameron's early stuff where you're you're kind of idolizing a slightly more nurturing attitude towards a male action star. I think that's one of the things that's interesting about The Mandalorian, which has been a big hit, is there is like that is a big emphasis. You've got this like badass gunslinger, but who's also defined in large part due to his like desire to nurture a child. Um, right. Which is not, yeah. a neg- not a negative change. Total daddy. Um, no, and yeah. – 
and yeah, there's an emotional journey, and that is a space western. Mm-hmm. So right it's there, it's a pretty fun space. I enjoy that series quite a lot. Yeah, I guess when I when I really think John Wayne's legacy died is probably Lil Nas X, mm-hmm. Old Town Road, mm-hmm. That's Assless right. Chaps, Openly Gay, Proud as Hell, and Crushing It. Hell yeah! yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So. Until next time, dig up the corpse of John Wayne and mail his bones to Little Nas X. That's I love this. Mm-hmm. This is a Go good project. Get on and, to it. And and I again, Little Nas X loves a trigger of the right, so I bet mm-hmm. he will remake one of these films. Oh, yeah. Look, dressed in the bones of John Wayne, wearing his rib cage like yep. a corset. <laughs> Francesca, you have any plugs for us at the end here after that? That was amazing. Um, oh my God, everyone check out the Bituation Room podcast. It's a weekly podcast with comedians and myself and activist experts. It's a good time. And yeah, yeah listen. Yeah. All right. Again, go defile the grave of, of John Wayne. Where is that grave? Oh, that's a great question. Where is John Wayne's grave? I want the address. <laughs> Pacific View Memorial Park in Newport Beach. Oh, that's on brand. That is on brand. Was, yeah, it's a pretty. I was about to say, of course, it's Newport Beach. That yeah, is it's definitely, very. It's, it's definitely Newport Beach. Hell yeah, a little slice of red over in this Southern California blue, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. The, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm sure we are not the only ones to have located where he is buried. Um, no, to, in order to steal his bones and give them to Lil Nas X so he can turn them into a corset. Yes. I like that he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, good riddance. May mm-hmm. we never have someone who plagues the American consciousness so horribly um, to the point where we're still, we're just waiting for the John Wayne generations mm-hmm. to die off. Yeah. Thank God. Well... <laughs> Thank you. This is great. Mm -hmm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, 
The CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.